0: We have just received word of a decision in one of the most consequential cases before the Supreme Court in decades. The justices have reached a final ruling on the Mississippi abortion law that prohibits nearly all abortions after 15 weeks and directly
1: challenges Roe v. Wade. Lester, in this historic decision, the Supreme Court has now overturned Roe v. Wade. Lester, this is the first time the Supreme Court has ever granted a constitutional right and then took it away. So the immediate effect of this will be to uphold a Mississippi law that would ban abortion after 15 weeks. But this also a the court has ruled that states can decide whether abortion should be legal or illegal. According to Justice Alito, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. It's a 5-4 to four opinion. There is a majority
0: written by Justice Alito. That says Roe versus Wade is history. That landmark 1973 ruling that said a woman had a constitutional right to abortion now goes back to the states who can set their own policies on abortion and decide whether or not they want to ban it entirely. Again, it's a 5 4 decision. There are three fierce dissents by the liberal justices, which we are. Hello
1: and welcome back. And we'll I am Saadia Khan, and you're listening to Immigrant Yesterday, June 24, 2022, the hyper-conservative Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and took away a woman's constitutional right to have an abortion. 13 states with trigger laws will ban abortion instantly. As a woman and a mother of two girls, I'm angry, annoyed, devastated and more uncertain about the safety of my kids now than ever before. It feels unreal that my daughters will have fewer rights than I did. But I am determined to fight this injustice by voting for and supporting people and organizations who believe in women's bodily autonomy And by amplifying the stories that must be told on our platform. As for men, please speak up. Because this is not only a woman's issue. It's a family issue. A human rights issue. And it will impact you too. And on this show today, we are going to make some noise. Our guest, Lakia Williams, is a reproductive justice activist based in the South. At Tulane University, she founded the Big Easy EC, an emergency contraception provider for college students in New Orleans. After graduating from university with a bachelor's in neuroscience, she joined Sister Song, the National Women of Color Reproductive Justice Organization, as their digital organizer. On top of her current reproductive justice work, Lakia is an aspiring physician with the RJ framework in mind. Isn't that incredible? Lakia is also the host of the Black Feminist Trance, a podcast about reproductive justice and activism. Now, when we think of reproductive justice, we immediately assume it's about the rights surrounding reproduction, maybe even synonymous with women's rights. But I can tell you that the definition is much more complicated. In today's episode, Lakia will go beyond the surface level definition and into the framework and activism behind it. So let's jump right in. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I know you've been quite busy, but I'm glad that you're here. Definitely. Thank you for having me. I was super excited when you all reached out, so happy to be here. So Lakia, I will begin by asking you, as a reproductive justice advocate, how is your heart today? How are you feeling? Yeah,
0: that's the big question. Um, Surprisingly, and I've been talking about this with other people in the RJ space, but surprisingly, I wasn't super sad or super angry like a lot of people Mm. would expect. I feel like people in the RJ movement, we've been preparing for this day for a long time. Um, And we knew it was coming. And so, I mean, we've been preparing. We've got systems in place and ways to support people as much as we can. So it was kind of, we just knew it was going to happen, I feel like we've had so many losses within the abortion movement, specifically in the last couple of years. Like I lived in Louisiana and Louisiana became a trigger state. Um, and like that was like the first like real hard loss for me. Um, Cause I just kind of thought if mm. you cared about people and you love them and you had like the right beliefs, like things would work out. And then I saw that that's not the case. And so I right. feel like people in the RJ space is so used to just like having these losses. And we've just learned that no matter what happens, we're just going to keep doing the work. And so, yeah, it was just kind of like, It was a heavy day, but I wasn't like distraught like a lot of people would think.
1: That's great to hear. And to be honest, what you're saying gives me hope as well, because as a woman and as a mother of two girls, I was pretty devastated yesterday and I've been thinking about it a lot. But as you said, you know, the fight goes on and we just work at it. In terms of reproductive justice framework and movement, you've used the term R.J., A lot of our listeners are probably not familiar with the term itself or what it entails. So why don't we start there? What does it really mean? What are some of the misconceptions people have around it? If you could just elaborate on that.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So reproductive justice is a human rights-based framework and movement. It was created by a group of Black women back in 1994. It's human rights-centered, but it has four main tenets. It believes that all people have the human right to bodily autonomy, the right to have children, the right to not have children, and the right to parent their children in safe and healthy environments free from Mm -hmm. violence and oppression. So it kind of spans all the different social justice movements because it incorporates so many different aspects of social justice. But that's like the definition of reproductive justice.
1: And in terms of the misconceptions that you may see around it in public discourse, are there any specific misconceptions that people have that you try to target or address?
0: There's quite a few misconceptions about reproductive justice. A lot of people hear reproductive justice and just think abortion access and abortion rights. And that is a very big piece, as we've seen with all the organizing that RJ advocates have been doing the past couple of years, preparing for this CODIS decision. But it goes so much farther beyond just abortion. Um, As I said, the right to parent your children in safe and healthy environments. So that's access to healthy foods, access to grocery stores, police-free environments, just being able to raise children in safe environments, mm-hmm. fertility care as well, bodily autonomy that ties into, like, queer liberation and trans liberation and supporting people in their full lives and not just their lives that are centered around reproduction or becoming pregnant. Um, It really looks at people's, like I said, full lives. And so people think it's only about, like, abortion and birth control, and it does include that, and that's really important, but people's lives are more than just, you know, the times when they can get pregnant or their reproductive ages.
1: So it goes beyond that, right? Now, what happened yesterday? How do you see this movement evolving? And you said you were prepared. You knew this was coming, right? So I'm sure you have a framework in mind or evolution of the reproductive justice system in the context of what's happened and how these events are unfolding. Yeah,
0: but I do want to just name that I've been in the movement for about three years, so I'm fairly new to the movement. But what I see as being a change is that I feel like there's a lot of coalition building right now so people from all different forms of repro whether that's reproductive justice or reproductive health or reproductive rights are really like coalescing and just like pulling all their resources together and finding ways to fully support people instead of us being in our silos and abortion providers are over here and then abortion funds aren't like as connected or rj orgs aren't you know connected to the full movement but i've seen a lot of different coalitions i'm a part of like three or four different coalitions right now just right within rj so i feel like we're really getting connected and getting people Us being connected allows people to get the support they they need because when they come to us, we can delegate them somewhere else. We're like, oh, this is where you can get support for this issue or that issue. And so I feel like we are definitely kind of building a community around the movement, which is like,
1: I feel the way towards liberation. When you talk about support, what does support mean here? What does it look like?
0: Yes, that's a big question. So support looks like a lot of things. So when people are in these trigger states that have, you know, banned abortion support looks like getting them connected to states where they can access their abortion. So that might look like providing them with the funds to actually pay for the abortion, provide them with funds to travel, to take time off from work, providing them with child care. Sometimes people will house them if they're traveling to another state. You can stay you know, in an extra room hmm. in my house. It looks like a lot of things. It also can look like being an abortion doula. And so that's providing physical and emotional support to someone going through an abortion. So huh. if you've never experienced an abortion or you don't know what to expect, someone who is a trained doula can support you and kind of Help you create a plan around supporting you and supporting if you have children, like coordinating different types of care, so like child care, things like that, just supporting through the process. So, support has many different avenues. I know in some states, there was like a judicial bypass process you have to go through. So, it could look like support. And that means so if you're mm. a youth trying to get an abortion and you don't have parental consent in a state that requires parental consent, support could look like an organization going through the judicial bypass process for you. So, you can get a judge to bypass the need for parental consent. So, there's so many uh, barriers to abortion access that requires so many different forms of support from people in the pro-abortion
1: movement. So now that abortion will be a lot less accessible Mm -hmm. for women, I also tie abortion or access to abortion to economic situation. It is more of an economic issue for a lot of women as well, right? Having the ability to travel, as you said, or have access in a different state. And that disproportionately impacts communities of color. When you talk about coalition building, do people understand differences in how different communities will be impacted by this?
0: Yeah, so I think...
1: The reproductive justice movement has
0: been doing a really good
1: job at educating people
0: on RJ and not just abortion access and how, you know, the least privileged people will need access. And, you know, so, you know, some women may need abortions, gender non-conforming people, non-binary, even some people identify as men may need abortions. So I feel like they've been doing a lot of messaging around that. And I think that there's a lot of like wealthier white women and white people who see that this is going to impact the most marginalized people and they've been wanting to donate. Mm. But the only issue is that they typically donate to Planned Parenthood or NARAR, which are these really large nonprofits that have millions of dollars within their budget. But the organizations that are helping people on the ground who have the least amount of access are independent abortion clinics. Independent abortion clinics provide the majority of abortions, So it's not Planned Parenthood, even though Planned Parenthood has the most money. So it's independent abortion clinics, independent abortion providers, abortion funds, which are like locally founded organizations. So I really would push people to, even though I know they mean well and they want to support, just push that money into these local organizations because they can meet the most people in their community, whereas Planned Parenthood, they've got so many operating fees and stuff that they have to put that money into and lobbying and things of that nature, and they're not providing the bulk of the abortions. So if these people are providing the bulk of the abortions and they have the least amount of money, we definitely need to change that and put some money in their hands so they can continue to do the good work that they're doing for the community.
1: Next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great and also wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now I have been on it for a few weeks and I love it. Fun fact it doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical taste and I actually look forward to it each morning. With just one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's how I take it. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Shaghi, you're also a host of Black Feminist Rants. It's a podcast about reproductive justice. And I've listened to a couple of episodes and you do a phenomenal job. Whatever issue you're tackling, you break it down in simple words and you do a thorough deep dive into whatever topic you're tackling. But at the same time, you're sharing your personal stories, right? So there's a lot of vulnerability. How do you see yourself being vulnerable and talking about your personal stories? while you are, you know, imparting important knowledge and education to folks.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that. That means a lot to hear. So the reproductive justice movement and Sister Song specifically has a saying that we all have a story to tell. And that kind of reminds us to center our lives within the reproductive justice movement. So that's the framework I come from, just centering my experiences and like allowing people to learn from what I've gone through because I've learned so much from just like the women in my family and then the people that I'm in community with um, and them sharing their experiences, actually in healthcare, accessing abortion or being pregnant and giving birth. And that really informs me and how I move through my life. And so while I'm talking about these issues, kind of like theoretically also bringing in that personal aspect, because at the end of the day, theory should improve our personal lives. So I feel like it's really important to connect those things. Um, So
1: that's something that I always try to do. As you said, you've listened to so many women who are struggling in so many ways, right? When it comes to access, can you share a story with us that really impacted you I
0: would honestly say my friend Larada. she's an abortion storyteller she was on I think episode 30 of my podcast and in that episode she tells her abortion story she's had three abortions and just the different ways she's had to navigate every abortion has had its difficulties you know and it's all been access issues and not having providers like you know do what they're supposed to do so I don't want to tell her story but her story accessing abortion and then being in the foster care system and being forced to be on birth control and having like that negative relationship with birth control because of that that's been a really impactful story and i recently had a miscarriage and i didn't know that i was miscarrying at the time but i was able to kind of figure out that i was going through a miscarriage while it was happening because i was reflecting on her story and how you know when she had abortion with pills she talked about the immense mm-hmm. pain and everything that she was going through and then i was like oh wait this sounds eerily similar to her story and that's mm. when I was like, oh, I think I'm miscarrying. And then I went to the doctor and then I found out that that's what's happening. And that's another reason why I definitely have so much respect for abortion storytellers because it's a form of education, right? So it's advocacy, but also it teaches us so much. And I think sex education in this country doesn't touch on enough topics, especially not pregnancy right. or abortion. And so I wouldn't have known what was happening with me. My- I didn't know. I was really scared. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm in so much pain. You know, stuff is coming out of my body. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's a heavy period. But because I had the privilege of knowing her story, it was able to help me in that moment.
1: Okay, I'm so sorry to hear that. But I want to extend this conversation a bit. When we think of reproductive rights, again, within the narrow framework of people's understanding, not the reproductive justice framework, right? We immediately think about abortion, but we don't think as much about access to contraception. We don't think about miscarriages. I want to get your opinion on how do you think this decision will impact access to contraception and miscarriage i can't speak too much on
0: the contraception piece but definitely for miscarriage i think that all forms of pregnancy loss will see an uptick in criminalization so, as we know, the most likely people to be criminalized are black and brown people and, you know, queer people. So, if you're managing your pregnancy loss, maybe you had a miscarriage, you could be criminalized for that because it's kind of hard to tell if it was a miscarriage or a self-managed abortion. Right. So, people who are miscarrying, people who are self-managing their abortion, if you're self-managing at home and you have complications and then you go to the doctor to get support, the doctor could tell the authorities, I think this person self-managed abortion, and that can lead to criminalization. And I went to a webinar by If, When, How, and they were talking about the different ways that pregnant people or people who were pregnant become criminalized. One of the main ways is through healthcare providers who report them to police, even though they don't have to, you don't need to as a healthcare provider. It's not like a mandated thing that you have to report, but because healthcare providers aren't sure if they're supposed to report, they just do it anyways, and then that can lead to criminalization. So I think pregnancy loss, whether it's self-managed abortion or miscarriage, will lead to criminalization of people in these trigger states and states that have outlawed
1: abortion. You know, all of this sounds so fucked up. It sounds so messed up. And to be honest, it's scary because I've had miscarriages. I've had three miscarriages and it's extremely difficult to talk about them. But just hearing you say that people could be criminalized for miscarriage as well, its it just feels so unreal and as I was recording the intro for this episode I was also thinking about the rights that I had and the rights that my daughters will have. It's just crazy to think that my daughters will have fewer rights than I did but is there any hope? Let's talk about hope.
0: (laughs) Yeah hope is important. I think the hope that I have right now I don't know what's going to happen with the Supreme Court and if we'll have a president that will like codify abortion and our rights but i think the hope i have right now is that we do have networks and systems in place so we have abortion funds that can you know pay for people to go out of state and get abortions and even so when texas had their six-week abortion ban that virtually made abortion inaccessible in the state mexican feminists really stepped up and said we were going to support you know people in the us who need abortion care and they created a network with feminists in America to support people that, you know, it's mostly going to be low income, black and brown people in Texas, anywhere that aren't able to, you know, fly to California get abortion. So even, you know, our international partners, people who are dedicated to this movement are also stepping up and supporting us. And I also want to say that this country, America has done so much, like has racist policies, against Mexicans, racist uh, Hmm. rhetoric, but when our country fails to support us, Mexican people are there to step up and support us when our country won't. So I think that's very interesting that we have so much harm has been done to the Mexican community, both in Mexico and in our country, that they're still stepping up for us. I think that should be honored.
1: So let's bring in another dimension. How can we not talk about corporations and companies when we talk about this, right? America is a capitalist society and we cannot disregard the role that organizations play. What are your thoughts on that? How do we hold them accountable? How do we come up with creative ways to make sure that different organizations are being allies in this? Do you see a role for these particular organizations in terms of access to abortion, in terms of access to contraception, in terms of providing funds and support to women who need it. Yeah. So I think, you know, reproductive justice
0: is also encompasses economic justice. And I think one thing that these companies and organizations should be doing is paying all of their employees a livable wage. So if they have to move states, they can afford to do that. There should be really expansive like healthcare policies at these companies. I think companies doing things like that is really important, but also I don't think it's enough because these companies have a lot of power and they're lobbying and stuff, people in Congress, and they should be using some of that lobbying power to not only lobby to get their you know, taxes reduced, but also lobby to make sure that we have the rights that we deserve, the rights that their staff deserves, the rights that their consumers deserve. I think they can definitely do more in a larger sense, but definitely start with Mm. giving everyone a livable wage because if nobody's in poverty, then people can afford to travel and get their abortions. But as we know, this country benefits off people being in poverty.
1: Lucky, I want to pivot a little and talk about your podcast. We've already touched on it a little, but I want to understand the process of how the podcast started. It seems to me, at least, the research that we've done here at Immigrantly, it started as a project as part of Sister Song, and now it's a huge platform around productive justice. What has been the most interesting or favorite part? of hosting this podcast what has your journey been like so far yeah so that is correct
0: it started as my internship project when i was at sister song summer of 2020 so Mm -hmm. we're almost at two years july 1st will be the two-year anniversary welcome to black feminist rants where we center conversations on reproductive justice and activism i'm just kind of like look i pay for people's abortions whether it's through philanthropy or mutual aid or Twitter abortions is getting paid for but I think the most interesting part about hosting the podcast or like my favorite part is all the amazing guest speakers I think every episode I say oh my gosh I've learned so much from you but right. I truly do and I feel like I'm in community with them and after like they're on the podcast we typically stay in touch and I absolutely love that I feel like it brings me more into the reproductive justice movement and feels like you know, I have a home within the movement. So I love connecting with people. And then I also love as people learn about the podcast and they engage with the content, they become a community as well. Hmm. And just people saying like, Oh, I've learned this from you. or I've learned that from you, or this has helped me think about things in a new way. It seems really rewarding because I started the podcast because I used to get on Instagram and just rant about things. I had a lot of anger <laughs> in the summer of 2020. So now that that's like that anger and those emotions, it's like something positive that people can like learn from. It feels really good and really rewarding.
1: So what is the process of selecting a guest, doing research? Walk us through that.
0: Yeah. So in the beginning, I was just reaching out to people that were leaders in the reproductive justice movement. And then I was in some reproductive justice activist groups. And so reaching out to my peers who were youth activists. And I'd be like, what topic do you want to talk on? And then I would do some research and I would write an interview script. And now I get a lot of pitches from people who are in the movement doing the work. So I'll get a pitch. I'll look them up, their website, their social media. And if it sounds on brand, I'll have a short meeting with them, about 15 minutes and just like pick their brain. Hmm. And then from there, I'll just write (laughs) some questions to highlight their work and highlight, you know, different aspects of the reproductive justice movement. And we go from there.
1: There's something else that we know about you. You are an aspiring physician and you are planning to incorporate reproductive justice framework into your work, which is incredible. I'm really impressed. What will that look like? For an ordinary person who doesn't understand or maybe for physicians who don't do that kind of work what will that look like
0: Yeah, so i definitely got that from feminist women's health center which is a reproductive justice abortion clinic in atlanta they also Hmm. provide trans-affirming care as well and so they're an abortion clinic but they're centered in the reproductive justice movement and so once i saw that and they're the only one in the nation that is RJ-centered?" I was like, oh, I definitely want to have another one of those type of organizations within the South. So I think the way that they do that is that obviously they do abortion care and they do trans-affirming care, but they also have reproductive justice initiatives and programs. I'm actually in a fellowship program for RJ advocates, so just incorporating advocacy work into the clinic space because healthcare and advocacy go hand in hand. So that's really where that idea came from. And I feel like I want to be a healthcare provider, but I feel at home in the reproductive justice movement. So just bring those two
1: together would be amazing. (laughs) And you're so young, you've achieved so much. But you have talked about imposter syndrome, right? That's something that you have touched on. How do you overcome that?
0: I don't feel like I struggle with imposter syndrome as much. When I started the podcast, I know I had that episode back in 2020 when I talked about that. But I think from having all the guest speakers that I've had on and even you, like you've been very affirming to me on this call, I think being in community with older women specifically who are in this movement who just breathe like so much love into me has really allowed me to grow in my confidence and to walk into a room and be like, I don't have to second guess myself because I have so many accomplished women in my life who are telling me all these great things about myself and I believe them. So also just allowing myself to believe the good things that I hear about myself is I don't really struggle with imposter syndrome anymore.
1: That's great to hear. When it comes to reproductive rights, reproductive justice framework, what is the ideal social and Political landscape of America. Paint us a picture.
0: Honestly, America as it exists today cannot continue to exist if we want a socially just, reproductive justice world. Right. So we have to like amend for like the genocide of indigenous people. Like we'd have to give that land back. Like America as it exists right now would not be able to stand. So definitely land back. Poverty would not be able to be a thing. Everybody would have a living wage. You'd have social support. You don't have to work in order to survive. Universal health care. Honestly, healthcare clinics in every single neighborhood that provide abortion care as well. But yeah, I don't think as America is today, we couldn't have this nation and then be a reproductive justice state as well, especially with Indigenous people not having the rights to their land. That's like a really big one. You can't have reproductive justice without Indigenous sovereignty. Mm -hmm. That's not something I've spoke about yet, but I definitely want to name that. So a lot of this work that we're doing, we have to incorporate Indigenous people because we are on their land and we'll never really be able to atone for that until we give the land back.
1: So where do we start? Do we start
0: with giving the land back? That is a good question. I don't know. I honestly don't even know how giving the land back would look like. It seems so honestly unrealistic to me because as this country is beginning to roll back rights, I don't know how we're going to expand them at the same time. So I think just starting off small is like codifying abortion rights, overhauling a lot of the racist policies that we have in this nation, how inequitable it is to gain home ownership, segregation yeah. in schools, those base level things that don't inherently connect to reproduction are still necessary for us to have like our full realized selves and be within a reproductive justice space. So Definitely starting there.
1: So this is a great segue into my last question, which is about America. Okay. So if you were to define America in a word or a sentence, given all the crazy shit that's happening right now, how would you do it?
0: I don't know if I could answer that question. That's a hard question. <laughs> I feel like there's so many different Americas, right? Like hmm. there's so many different experiences. I don't even know if I have a word or a sentence
1: I can't think of it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I've asked this question a number of times. All my guests stumble on this question versus all the other questions that I ask. But to be honest, as I'm talking to you, the thing that comes to my mind immediately, given all that's happening, and maybe I sound extremely skeptical right now, it's regressive, I just feel like America is regressing and I don't know how we can stop that free fall, that regression right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like America is a facade. Like we present ourselves as this land of the free and just like it's so great and you can come and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But in reality, we're stripping back rights. People don't have access to health care. People don't have access to food we're going into a recession like i feel like it's all fake Like we put ourselves out as like the greatest country in this nation but our, the people in this country suffer so much when we try to make ourselves seem better than third world countries or, you know, these other countries in the global South. Mm. When in reality, a lot of times they're doing more to support their own citizens than we do to support ours. So,
1: so this was great, Lakia. And I know you're extremely busy. So I will wrap this up. But where can people find your podcast? Is there a website they should go to to get more information, especially on reproductive justice framework, how it impacts them, how they can be allies?
0: Yeah, so you can listen to Black Feminist Rants on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. There's also the BlackFeministRants.com website, and we're on social media at Black Feminist Rants on Instagram and TikTok, and Twitter at Black F E M Rants. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us.
1: And how can they be allies? Mm.
0: I think you can be allies by one, of course, educating yourself and then also donating to your local mutual aid or your local abortion fund and just kind of redistributing some of that wealth to communities that are going to need it and then just showing up and showing out. So if there's a community organization that needs volunteers, just showing up and just say you're happy to help
1: and just get involved in the community. And then also if you have the ability to donate, to donate as well. Wonderful. This was so good, Lakia. Thank you so much for coming on Immigrantly. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know anything about the reproductive justice framework before interviewing Lakia. but I'm so glad I interviewed her and now I'm learning and it's okay not to know something. What's important is your willingness to learn. This episode was produced by Kinza Muzahir and me, Sadia Khan, written by Ashley Linuza. Our sound designer and editor is Manny Simone. Until next time, when we have another incredible episode. Take care.